Hello, I'm Jonathan Smith. I'm the lead pastor at One Church TO, and you're listening to the teaching time from our weekend gathering. We're an imperfect community of over 70 nationalities and five generations who are attempting to follow and shine Jesus in the greater Toronto area. Our vision, it's so simple. We want to help people from all walks of life know God, love people, and in turn, impact our city for good. We've designed these weekends to be meaningful, challenging, and encouraging, and I hope that's what you get from listening. Now, listen, I want, this series, I, I just want to go on the record, and I did a little bit last week when I was hosting, that this is not a typo. For all the grammar police and all of the English teachers, uh, this is wrong on purpose. <laughs> I made up a word because I wanted to describe the heart of this series that we want to become exceptional at being able to accept one another. We want to be exceptional at accepting one another. Now, the Apostle Paul writes to a church in Rome, and the idea about accepting means that there are some differences. I don't need to accept you if there are no differences between us. It means that there are some differences that need to be bridged, and you have to flex your accepting muscle in order to bridge to another culture, another generation, gender differences, experiential differences, belief differences, behavior differences, and certainly, as we're focused on in this series, generational differences. We need to flex our exception, accepting muscles to be able to receive each other. So Paul writes to this church in Rome because they're in the middle of a bit of conflict in their community. And he says this to them. He says, therefore, accept one another. Can you say this with me? Just as. Let's read that again. Therefore, accept one another just as Christ has accepted you. Stop right there. What condition were you in when Christ accepted you? Were, were, you, were you broken? Were you perfect? Were you imperfect? Did you come with flaws? Did you come with a chip on your shoulder? Did you come with a lot of brokenness? Uh, yeah, of course you did. And he accepted us. He didn't say, clean yourself up and then I'll, then I'll be in relationship with you. He accepted us while we were pretty messed up. So he said, accept each other just as Christ accepted you so that God will be given glory, so that he'll receive the glory. Now, when Paul's talking to this church in Rome, he identifies the two warring parties as the weak and the strong. And what he meant by the weak is the weak were those that uh, couldn't tolerate gray areas. They just couldn't tolerate gray areas. They needed lots of rules and lots of boundaries to protect their weak consciences. And that's what Paul calls them. They had such a weak conscience, they needed lots of rules and boundaries. And they tended to be very narrow-minded and even judgmental towards others who couldn't keep the rules. In contrast, the strong, and Paul identifies himself as being with the strong, the strong were those who are very broad-minded because they were so deeply immersed in the gospel. They had a confidence. They had a confidence in the, so they didn't feel threatened by everything that was coming at them. And so Paul says here that we're to accept one another. And the verb that he uses, remember, the New Testament was originally written in a Greek language. And the verb that he uses in Romans 15 verse 7 for accept is the same verb he uses in Romans 14.1 when he says this, accept other believers who are weak in faith, who are weak in faith, and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. Don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. 
Now, this is really important for us, especially for today's message. This idea of accepting one another is really on purpose and intentionally engaging in deep relationship with those that precisely we think are mistaken or weak. It's, it's, it's engaging deeply in relationship with those that might be totally mistaken, <laughs> that, that could be weak. It's the intentional accepting of one another. So in this series, my challenge to us as a congregation is that we would become exceptional at accepting one another, and specifically our generations. Now, why do I need to even say this? Well, because every generation tends to judge the generation that came before them and judge the generations that come after them. It's, it's normal. It happens with great regularity. But we always need to remember, friends, some facts here. Fact. There are things that you believe and hold on to right now that your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren would be embarrassed to know you believed. Is that not true of you? You know, when you look over your shoulder, maybe your grandparents or your great-grandparents, you love them, they may be great people, but they believe some things in a certain era and time that now you'd be a little embarrassed if they said out loud in our present day and age. Well, that will be true of you. We need to always remember, if you're younger, hey, old age is coming for you too. (laughs) And all of a sudden, there are pieces of things we held on to that might be kind of embarrassing in the future. We need to also remember facts. If you can't look over your shoulder to a moment, a time, or a belief that you once held, and now you look back and you think, oh man, (laughs) you'd be slightly embarrassed with it. If you've not changed at all, likely you've not grown at all. You see, every generation brings strengths and weaknesses to the table. Every generation, no generation has the corner of being right on everything or being strong on everything. Every generation goes through this little arc of strength. Every generation starts out weak in the early years. They're young. (laughs) They don't have, they haven't accumulated strength. They're not in the decision seats. Uh, People have power over them. Uh, They need to be protected. They need to be cared for. They need to be developed. So every generation starts out here and eventually comes to a place of strength. Every generation comes to a place of strength. Father time makes sure that happens. And so now they're in the decision seats. They're in the power seats here. But every generation too will eventually decline to a place of weakness where just like when we started, we need care. We need support. We need to be celebrated. We need to be cherished in these areas where we're most vulnerable. Here's the danger part with many churches and many organizations is people who have occupied the seats of power or decision-making, usually they struggle when they start to see the slide, when they see that the other generation is beginning to emerge. And it's kind of hard to find your place. Where do you fit? Well, this is the case for all of us. We need to remember that we need to carry one another in love throughout all of our generational arcs, no matter where we're at, because no generation has the corner on strength, no generation has the corner on weakness. Now, the interesting thing when the Apostle Paul talks to the weak and strong in Romans chapter 15, he calls for the strong, those who who are right in that, and that happens to be in that circumstance, to serve the weak. He doesn't call the weak to serve the strong. He calls the strong to serve the weak. So this is a series about all of us making some adjustments. 
all of us making some adjustments for each other. This week, I want to talk about Generation X. This is the smallest of all the generations. Kind of gave birth in the middle of skyrocketing divorce rates. Some of the highest uh, family breakdown moments shaped this generation. It was the early onset of personal computers, the Commodore 64, the VIC-20. Video games kind of made their entrance during Generation X with the Atari 2600. The Sony Walkman. I remember my first Walkman. All of a sudden, I didn't have to hear my mom always saying, turn it down. <laughs> All of a sudden, I could have it cranked up and be in my own world. I love the Walkman. This generation saw the birth of MTV and much music. In fact, if there is a movie that kind of represents Generation X, it was a movie called The Breakfast Club. And if there's a song that is identified with this generation, it's this song from The Breakfast Club. I don't know how many of you remember that song, Don't You Forget About Me. Uh, listen, if whatever generation you're from, jump into the chat room and tell us what song you think best represents your generation. Now, that song kind of echoed the heart of Gen Xers because they did feel like sociologists called them the forgotten generation. Uh, their, their name comes from a book written by Douglas Copeland, who was trying to describe the angst. And this generation had a bit of a chip on its shoulder, a little bit of angst. And the reason was, it really sat between two larger generations, the boomer generation and the millennial generation. And in comparison, Gen X is a very small population. I mean, they almost didn't matter. So you had two large siblings on either side of you. And this is why, again, sociologists, I love the terms they gave Generation X. They called them the neglected middle child. <laughs> I, I laughed when I read that this week because I was just thinking, I'm a middle kid. I know how it feels to be a middle kid, and I'm a Gen Xer, born in the 70s. Uh, and this is very interesting for each of us, and here's, I'm speaking to you Gen Xers, listen, own this. 
Let's be middle children. It actually uniquely positions us. What an honor. What an honor to sit between the boomers and the millennials and do what Pastor Keith challenged us as a community to do last week, to honor the generations that came before us and to impact the generations that come after us. So how do we honor the generations and impact the generations? Well, it's unique to where we're sitting right now. And so uh, a few years ago, uh, Tim Day, who's the director of Waybase and City Movement and an author, he came in to meet with our board of deacons to talk about doing multi-generational church and how each generation has a different role in different seasons. And specifically going into this season, what is our role? So the role was for boomers was to resource the church. Now, you automatically think of money, but let me, let me expand your vision for that, boomers. The idea is simply this. You, you likely, you've had the most time of all the previous generations to, to accumulate, to accumulate experiences, spiritual maturity, wisdom, and, and financial resources. So it's your turn to open your hands up and resource as much as you can as possible, because when and if all of us are going to exit the room someday, you will have made deep investments in the future of the church by giving away some of that wisdom and work experience and life experience. Uh, give it away to others that they can borrow it and use it. And if you're a millennial, join us next week. I have a good friend, one of my favorite millennial leaders I'm going to interview. Her name is Elise Brower. And we're going to talk about your generation, what it means to lead in this moment. And then Generation Z, uh, we're going to have Tim Day actually join us with all the latest research on Generation Z, all the parents who've got those Gen Zs in their house, you're going to want to be a part of that weekend. And if you're a Gen Zer, you're going to want to be a part of that weekend. You're going to move into one of the most creative moments in the church world and in life. And you, we're looking for you to be a part of that. But I want to talk about our role as Xers. And as will be true with every week, this kind of applies across the platform. It doesn't mean just Gen Xers mentor. Uh, boomers can, as Pastor Keith mentioned last week, all of us can mentor. I have millennials and Gen Z who mentor me. They mentor up. I need that. It helps keep my mind open and it keeps me growing. But what are we to do as Gen Xers? One of our greatest contributions could be to mentor emerging generations. See, mentoring in scripture is common. Paul had his Timothy and he had his John Mark uh, uh, Moses had his Joshua. We heard about that last week. Uh, Jesus had his 12. Elijah had his Elijah. Now, the problem with mentoring is, I, I think some people mistakenly think it means come to me and come and listen to me. But, but that's not mentoring. That's teaching. That's instructing. Uh, and some people, I think, they get, as we age, sometimes we're waiting for young people to come to us and listen to us. And then we say, hey, there's no one around to mentor. Nobody wants to be mentored. Listen, friends, let me tell you in on a little secret. Everyone's starving for good mentorship. They are. But the two positions that help you position yourself to be a great mentor is this. You need to become a good listener. And, you know, I could even cross out good and say, you need to become a great listener. And you need to become an active hero maker. I'm going to describe what I mean by that in just a minute. Let's explore that first thought, though, first. You need to become a good listener. Why? Because listeners are in big demand right now, but low supply. Have you noticed? This is why there's so much anger. This is why there's so much venting on social media and stuff. People just want to be heard. You know the gift of when you're in a conversation with someone. 
And they're not just waiting to respond. They're deeply listening to you. You you feel like you matter in those moments. People are starving for great listeners in this world, but they're in low supply. But listeners are attractive, and they're attractive because they put others first. It requires a lot of humility to be a good listener because it means you pause on your output in order to receive another's output. A good listener makes a great mentor. It's listening to understand, not respond. You know, friends, listening is hard. It's very hard. It requires a lot of humility. It requires a lot of interior stability in your life. You, you need to, it requires you to be strong enough, strong enough not to have to prove yourself through another discussion, another argument, another speech, another declaration. Strong enough to allow somebody else to occupy that space. I love how the author and uh, a theologian, Dr. Henry Nouwen from Yale University put it. He said this, true listeners no longer have an inner need to make their presence known. It's, it's not about advertising themselves anymore. They are free, and I want you to see these highlighted words with me. They are free to receive, to welcome, to accept. Listening is a form of spiritual hospitality. Isn't that a beautiful imagery? That every conversation is like setting a meal. I love people with the gift of hospitality. Uh, You know, they just so naturally welcome you into their space. It's like they were thinking of you, planning on you. Uh, You know, if you're going over to some place to eat and, and they have the gift of hospitality, it feels like you're a part of the family. It feels like you were planned for and you're welcomed into that space and moment. And this is what happens when we truly listen to people. When you listen to people, people feel accepted by you. Even if you disagree with them, they feel accepted by you. Listening is this form of spiritual hospitality. And a good listener is incredibly attractive. We invite strangers to become friends when we listen. Now, one of the signs, and this is the way you can tell whether or not you're a good listener. First, you can ask the people around you. But one of the signs of a great listener is they ask great questions. Now, Jesus was a great listener, a fantastic listener. If you read through the Gospels, uh, you'll see that, and it's on full display. And Jesus asked a lot of questions. In fact, he asked 339 questions in the Gospels. 339 questions. Think about that, guys. He's the son of God. He's the wisest person ever to walk the planet. He's always the smartest guy in the room. And yet he asks 339 questions. Why? Is it because he didn't have answers? No. Is it because he didn't understand? No. No, Jesus was asking questions to build bridges. He was creating pockets of acceptance He was building bridges and showing his respect for other people. And when you read through the accounts, it's really a fun thing to do when you read through the gospel and look for his questions. You realize he's not just listening to how they respond. He listens to their tone, their sense of urgency, and he responds to their pain in that moment. He's really listening. One of the things that's very unique about Jesus, when you read his account, you realize he was never too busy to listen. In the midst of some of his busiest ministry moments, crowds all around him, a blind man on the side of the road calls out to him, he stops everything and he listens to him. 
or, or the woman with the issue of blood in a big crowd and they're on their way to heal a, a, a young girl that needed a healing and he gives her his undivided attention. It's incredible. He was an amazing listener. He's, it was beautiful how he did that. And friends, I, just before I move on, friends, Jesus still listens that way today. He gives you his undivided attention. He hears every word you say. He's never too busy to pause and listen to his child. Hey, uh, friends, don't be too busy to, to be able to listen to him, but also to connect with him. Now, listening has so many applications. If you're a parent, if you're a parent and you're struggling to connect with your children, listening is your superpower. It is your superpower. Listening to their ideas, listening to their thoughts, their concerns, their fears, their, their questions, listening, and not only listening to get answers, but to hear their tone, to hear where they're at, asking open-ended questions of your children. Every age category, whether you have adult children or if you have little babies around you, by developing a listening ear, you're accepting them. And they crave acceptance. And that's what builds a connection between parents and their children. If you're married, if you're a spouse, or you're in a relationship with something, someone, listen, questions and listening is one of the best pathways to greater intimacy. Uh, my wife, Shelly, does this so naturally. She asks all kinds of questions. And on the surface, they can seem benign. Now, she's not asking questions to probe, to get some sort of answer. She's asking questions to connect. How's your day? What you do today. And, and, you know, sometimes you're sitting there going like, man, it's the same thing I always do. She's connecting with me. She's connecting with us. She's building intimacy in that relationship. Listening is so powerful, it can transform a relationship. So here's the thing. What if, just, just dream with me, church, for a minute. Could you just dream for a minute? Let's, what if we were the type of community that anyone could come to? that everyone could be a part of it? What if we had so much interior maturity and stability in the gospel and we didn't feel threatened in this life, but like our titanium series, we felt like we could live a bold and strong life? What if we were so secure that we could welcome in and among us people that are very different than us? Maybe as Paul identifies, maybe they're mistaken, maybe they're weak in some area, but we aren't threatened by that and we create a space where they hear heard where they're welcomed, where they can share their pain and their anger and they can share their thoughts and their beliefs and we're not judging them and they feel accepted, where they could maybe belong before they believe. Well, Gen Xers, this is one of your primary roles. It's to listen to the generations that are older than us, to honor them, to hear their concerns, to care for them and bless them. And it's to listen to the generations that are younger than you, seeking to understand them, looking for opportunity for them. So listening, being a great listener, is one of the key things to being a great mentor in life. If you're a great listener, there are always going to be people finding you that'll be welcoming mentorship because you're, making, uh, you're becoming spiritually hospitable. You're creating a place of welcome for them where they too can share then the second thing is this, be an active hero maker. Now, why do I say that? Uh, if I've learned anything, it's been 29 years of pastoring. I've learned over the years that generations tend to hold on too long. What do I mean hold on too long? I mean, hold on to the decision seats and the power seats too long. 
And the reason why is they become places where they feel significance, where they add a contribution. Maybe they did really good in those seats, but they stay in those seats too long and then the emerging generations never get comfortable in those seats and they move on. It's kind of like this. If, if my dad drove the vehicle all the time and we stayed at home and we became adults, but still he did all the driving and then one day my dad passed into glory and the keys come to us and we don't know how to drive, we're probably going to abandon the car and walk away. There's something about making space for emerging generations. And one of the ways you do that is you need a grander vision of what your significance is. It's not about my contribution at any one stage. It's about my grander vision. So for Gen Xers, I'm speaking to you. What if we weren't the heroes, but instead we were the hero makers? What if we weren't the heroes, but we were the hero makers? Some of the men and women that I admire most in this life are people that don't make much of themselves, but they make much of others. They make much of other people. The hero maker of all hero makers was, of course, the person of Jesus who said this. He says this to his followers. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works even greater works. Don't you want that for your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, that they would do even greater things, even greater works, because I am going to be with the Father. See, I love Jesus. And when everyone's trying to make a lot of him and put, shine the light on him, and he kept deflecting and shining the light on the Father in heaven. And then the, the, Spirit, the Holy Spirit shines the light on Jesus. There's such a selflessness in the way they lead. But here on earth, he said as he's leaving, he said, "My, hey, listen, uh, I've built a platform and I want you guys to stand on it. It's your moment and you're going to do even greater things. Friends, when Shelly, my wife and I moved from Montreal to Toronto to be your lead pastor, and I've been your lead pastor for four years, I, I didn't anticipate that almost two of those years would be leading you through pandemic and COVID-19. It just so crazy. I, I, never, I never saw that coming. What I did know and what we came to do was to build a church and build on what has been through the years here, but to build a church where your children, your grandchildren, and your great-grandchildren can find a place where they are accepted, that they are heard, and they are loved, and that they can find the person of Jesus. So, I very much honor, honor the generations older than us Gen Xers. We cherish you. We celebrate you. We care for you. We want you. We need you. <laughs> and I, and I, I'm speaking to millennials and Gen Z right now. We love you. We want you. We need you. And we celebrate you. And I want to be the type of leader that is a hero maker. Now, what does a hero maker look like? Well, a hero maker builds platforms for others to stand on. They, a hero maker builds a platform, not just for themselves. And we're in an era where on social media, everybody's building their platform and everybody's building their brand. And there's nothing wrong with that. But we're building platforms so other people can stand on it, not just ourselves. So I, I think of when I was in my late 20s and I joined this staff team and and Pastor Keith had built this quite a platform, not a physical one, but just his ministry platform of faithfulness and, 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 and what a gifted teacher and just, just a character leader. And he welcomed me in my late 20s to, be, to stand on that platform with him. 
He gave me opportunities before I even probably warranted it or deserved it or was even maybe ready for it. And by giving me that platform, he gave me wings to fly. I think of Bill Morrow, uh, 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 previous general superintendent of our movement. I was in my early 30s, 31, 32, and, and he gave me an opportunity to, to be a part of that international platform. Just saw things in me and, and gave me opportunities to stand on his platform with him. I think of when I was younger, when I was 17, a pastor, and these people may, names may not mean much to you, but a man named Peter Jowdery saw something in me when I was 17, and uh, he, he pushed me onto the platform. I didn't want to go on the platform. He pushed me onto his platform, and that's probably why I'm in ministry today. He saw something in me. I remember when I planted a church at 23, I remember a man named David Slomite. He's now retired. David wore a suit everywhere. I think he mowed his lawn in a suit. He's from that generation and era. And he would come to our church, and our church was different. I mean, we had every spectrum of sexual orientation and, and poverty and addiction and steel executives and corporate. We had this collage of people that most churches would never want to have in their doors. We had a smoke break in the middle of the service. Like it was a wild, a wild church, but we were reaching people so far from God and we were loving them and we were accepting them. And we, we have this little model at Sun Life, come as you are, you'll be loved. You'll be loved. Well, you know what David Slomite did? He, he shared his platform with me. He protected me because there was a lot of religious people that didn't like what we were doing. But he not only did that, he celebrated it. I mean, these guys gave me wings to do. I want to do that. Don't you want to do that, Gen Xers, for those coming up underneath us, that we would build platforms that they can stand on? Here's another thing that hero makers do. Hero makers look, and they're always looking at other generations saying, I see in you, and dot, 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 whatever that is. And they're permission giving. They're, they're looking, they're seeing, they're catching them doing the best stuff. And they're seeing the, their talents and their abilities and the giftings that God has given them. And they're celebrating them. They're helping them to see it. I remember in grade five, Miss, Mrs. Steele was my grade five teacher. I mean, Mrs. Steele was always angry at me. And, I, and she probably should, she, she had every right to be. I, was, I wasn't always a good kid. And I talked way too much in class. But I remember the day when she was passing back uh, some sort of paper I'd written, and she said, Jonathan, you have a gift for words. You should either speak or write. And then she walked away. Now, normally, when I look back at Mrs. Steele, she was always angry at me, but I've never forgotten that. She saw something in me. She said, I see in you this, and that helped me to find it. I remember my first year in theological studies and Reverend Bob Tatinger was the president of the Bible College and I was walking down the hallway one day and he stopped me and I'd been doing a bunch of things in the school and he just said, Jonathan, you may be from the Maritimes, but you're a leader, so you should lead. And then he walked away. All of these things are looking for good in others elevating it, taking out your highlighter and bolding it so that they can develop wings and fly. Hey, Gen Xers, uh, why not build a platform for somebody else to stand on it? Why not start looking for the promise you see in millennials and Gen Z and calling it out? I see this in you. I see this in you. Why don't you? Why don't you step into? And then I love Bob Buford and I love his quote. And this is kind of what I've tried to model my ministry off of. Bob Buford said this, and I think every hero maker says this, my fruit grows on other people's trees. 
My fruit grows on other people's trees. See, someday I'm going to exit the room. Someday, should God tarry, the Lord will call me home. I want the fruit of the trees that I've planted along the way to still be bearing fruit in other people's lives. It's a vision, a grander vision than just for myself and my little family. It's a grander vision for generations. So millennials, I hope you know we believe in you. Gen Z, we believe in you. And we believe that our church is richer for having you with us. We need to do life together. We're so glad you're with us. So Jonathan, how do I develop though that, that, that heart to be a hero maker? And I'm glad you asked. Because for Gen Xers, listen to me, Gen X, but if you're other generations, you might want to lean in too. You need to change your definition of what the win is. So much of our culture and world is the win is me feeling good about me, me winning. You got to redefine the definition. And I've got a verse for you, Gen Xers, but it's not a verse that most people highlight in their Bible. The prophet Jeremiah said it to his, his assistant. And this has become, as I've aged, has become one of my models in life. And here was his verse. He said this, do you seek great things for yourself? Seek them not. Jonathan, what do you mean? Like, I, I, I want to be the top salesman. I, I want to do this. I want to climb these mountains. I'm not done building. Hey, do all that. Do all that. Be the very best you can be. Shine. Uh, lean in. Uh, climb those mountains. Climb those hills. But don't just do it for yourself. Don't make it just about you. No, seek great things on behalf of others. So you can be blessed to be a blessing. That you can be so open-handed. I'm determined to live really well, the best I can live right now, so that when I age into the place of where boomers are right now, I, I can resource the kingdom. I can give and be generous and open with that. And, and millennials, I hope you're going to lead in such a way that when you come into the Gen X stage, you're ready to mentor. You've got a vision to be a great listener and a great hero maker. And Gen Z, I hope you're going to, and we're going to talk about this in the fourth week, create content and, and serve in such a way that you're ready to lead. Because if you're going to lead, you've got to be a great servant, a great servant. So church family, I want to pray with you before we close and, and then Pastor Matt's going to come back for some Q&A with me. And, and so if you have questions for me, throw it in the chat room. Uh, we're going to talk all things generations and hopefully maybe even some of the things we talked about today. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for this multi-generational church we call One Church TL. Lord, to have builders among us and boomers. And in Jesus' name, I just bless our builders and boomers. I'm so thankful for them, for, for their, their ingenuity, their energy, their industrial, industrial natures, God, that built so much, God. I just bless them in Jesus' name. They have given us such a great platform to stand on. And God, I pray, Jesus, that each of them would find a vision for this stage in their generation to make continued contributions to your kingdom. God, I, I pray for the millennials and Gen Z. And God, I pray, Lord, that they would feel affirmed over the coming weeks. They would find their place and they would know how critical it is for them to find that place. God, would you fill them with a fresh vision for you, for your church, and for reaching people that are yet to be included. 
And then I pray for my fellow Xers. God, I pray, Lord, that you give us the interior stability and strength to be great listeners. And God, the vision to allow other people to be the heroes in this season. God, I pray your blessing over One Church To and all the generations. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you found this helpful, we hope you join us at one of our campuses if you're in the GTA for a weekend gathering. If you're listening from somewhere else in the world, we'd encourage you to join us at onechurch.to slash live. We believe everyone can be a part of what Jesus is doing both in our community and in our city. So if you'd like to connect with us at a deeper level, visit us at onechurch.to slash next steps. See you next time.